Welcome back, everybody, to Story, Symbol, Spirit, a podcast on how to make sense of scripture. My name is John McCambridge, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host. I'm Jackie Mitchell. Jackie, good to see you today. Good to see you. Uh, if you are listening to this podcast, and you've maybe you've listened to this podcast before and you like it, we would like to urge you <laughs> to subscribe. Give us a five-star rating. It helps us. Uh, and so you can do that on any platform that you're on. Only review us if you're going to give us a five star, though. Yeah, of course. Other than that. I mean, anything else would be absurd, honestly. <laughs> so. um, all right. So, Jackie, we are recording this on a Thursday at 10 a.m., which means we have approximately an hour and a half to get this done because you will go absolutely insane people, if you don't get your lunch on time. People have to understand. I am so serious about when I'm eating lunch. We have a lunchtime, and it's noon to 1. And if I'm not eating at, like, 12.05, that's a problem, I think. And when you say problem, you mean that you start acting <laughs> insane. I'm, I just get a little hangry. And I think sometimes people wait until like 10 after 12 to decide on where they want to go for lunch. And that's too late. You need to be deciding. People make fun of me for this in the office, but you need to be deciding where you're going to lunch at 10 a.m. If you haven't packed, we need to powwow and we need to decide when we're leaving for lunch by like 10 or 11 a.m. Wow. Because other than that, you cut into lunchtime thinking about when you or where you want to go to lunch. Yeah, so you decide around 12.10, you have to go get it. Now it's 12.30, right. you come back. It's not, and now it's kind of a rush situation. And then I'm hungry. And then I'm, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, I've seen some stuff, Jackie. <laughs> there, I, he's exaggerating. I, I was scarred by <laughs> what I saw when when people did not quite have their, their lunch plans together by 12.05. I'll leave without scary. him. I left, with, I left without Kaylee the other day because she's taking too long. <laughs> she was in a ministry meeting. Well... Lunch waits she was for meeting no one. With some beautiful family in our church, and you were like, "You, you, I'm going without you." <laughs> Lunch waits for no one. That's I, what I, I said. I come from a long line of hangry people. My wife gets oh. hangry. I thought I got hangry, and then I met you. Never, never quite seen something like you this know. Before. My husband is not hangry ever. Like he's like, "Oh, I guess I forgot to eat lunch." That never happens. No, to that's me. impossible. For that's me to, crazy to forget to eat lunch. I'm remembering. I know if I haven't had lunch, but you don't eat breakfast. No, I, I, my stomach hurts if I eat breakfast in the yeah. morning. And then dinner's flexible. This is, right. this is what you claim. Right. But lunch, I think it's because I can't really eat. Like, I'm not big on breakfast and it hurts my stomach. So I feel like I'm so hungry when it gets to noon that, like, I can't wait any longer. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll make sure we, we wrap this up in about I've, I'm looking at the clock, so. Okay. I don't, I don't want our, our listeners to hear your wrath of <laughs> angriness. Just start growling. Jackie with low blood sugar, not a good thing. <laughs> not a good thing. All right. Well, today we are going to talk about Genesis chapter seven. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Genesis seven. So the last couple of weeks we went through Genesis six, which is the beginning of the flood. And then we talked a whole episode about the Nephilim and what that means that there's giants roaming the earth that are products of the sons of God, you know, co-mingling in some way with the, the, the daughters of men. And basically what we came to is that it seems like what this is referring to when you, when you kind of look through ancient history are these ritual practices of fertility, right? Where a God would inhabit the king and then the king would conceive a child with a temple prostitute. And then mm -hmm. a, 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 some, you know, a child, if a child is born from that, then that child is said to be two thirds God because the king is a God and then he's mm -hmm. embodying whatever God of fertility that they're worshiping. And then one third human because the, the, the temple prostitutes a human or some kind of calculation like that, right? Yeah. So all these ancient stories that have stories about giants, 
Uh, it seems like it is talking about some kind of size, mm-hmm. but it also seems like it's talking about what kind of rulers they are yeah, and like what kind of people they an are. An oppressor, yeah, or a bully. Right. And so in the Bible, the, the two main cardinal sins of the Old Testament are idolatry mm-hmm. and sexual immorality. And those two things are described in the Old Testament as polluting the actual ground, you know. And so this ritual practice that creates the Nephilim is, is sort of the culmination of those two cardinal sins in mm-hmm. one ritual. And so this is going to become important as we move forward because there's, you know, uh, these other, well, I guess what we would call pagan religions, uh, pagan people groups, non-God's people, mm-hmm. are going to continue this kind of practice after the flood. And uh, the, the, the wars that Israel fights as they enter the promised land and, and throughout the, the history of the kings, much of that is going to be against those clans of giants. Yeah. Those clans that are participating in this ritual worship that involves sexual immorality and idol worship. Yeah. Um, and so that was kind of uh, our, our understanding of, of the Nephilim. But before that, we talked about Genesis 6. And so God is going to judge the world and he's going to cleanse it with a flood because mm-hmm. the wickedness and the rebelliousness and the destructiveness of sin, both from humans and from the demons, mm-hmm. right, who are participating in these things with, with the humans is too much. And so God's going to start over again with Noah, who's called righteous, and he's going to start over with his family. And so his wives, mm-hmm. his sons, uh, or his wife, his sons, and then his sons. His son's wives, wives. yeah. Um, and so Noah builds an ark, which we talked about in Genesis 6, is a floating microcosm of God's good creation. It's like, an, it's like a floating Eden. Yeah. And so like the future tabernacle and the future temple, it's a representation of Eden. We talked about how it has three tiers on the ark, like the three tiers of the world mm-hmm. that are described in Genesis 1. It's made of wood, like Eden was full of trees. And there are animals who are paired male and female, just like Eden in Genesis chapter 2. And so today, we're going to read about what happens with all of this. Uh, Genesis 6 actually ends with a description of, of Noah's righteousness. It says, and Noah did all that the Lord commanded of him. Yeah. Hmm. And then we get in Genesis 7, and we start to see how the flood goes. And then Genesis 8, how it, how it subsides. Yeah, yeah. Anything to add before we start getting into Let's scripture? read 7, 1 through 5. All right. The Lord then said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, and one pair of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate, and also seven pairs of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now, I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Yeah, so God continues to give instructions mm-hmm. and Noah continues to obey those instructions. Yes. So the obedience of Noah is highlighted. Why is the obedience of Noah important? Well, what have we read so far in the last few chapters since humans have been created? God gives commandments mm-hmm. and it seems like humans struggle to obey those commandments <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> pretty immediately. Yeah. yeah, almost like they do the opposite of what they're supposed to do. Right, yeah. yeah, it's not like a no. It's like, no, and I'll do the opposite right. for most of it. And so as we've read, what are the consequences of, of what we would call, you know, sin? Yeah, death comes into the world. Yeah, death, destruction, mm-hmm. decreation, right, which is what is going to be seen with the flood. 
And so the, the, um, the, the, the righteousness of Noah is highlighted in his obedience. Yeah, it stands out, especially because we read in chapters five and six that there was no one righteous on the earth. Right. That everyone was committed to the destruction of themselves and, and the world around them. Right. And so that, that word or that concept of obedience is tough for us mm-hmm. because we like the idea of autonomy, that I belong to me. I mean, that, that's, yeah. that's sort of the main moral imperative of, of our kind of like modern secular worldview, right? For sure. And yet the Bible highlights from beginning to end the importance of obedience and the disastrous consequence of disobedience to God, yeah. right? So Jesus is going to look at his disciples and he's going to say, uh, you love me if you obey me. Yeah. That's an interesting thing for us to, to, to work through. Mm-hmm. Because even when we think of Jesus and salvation, we tend to think of like an, an intellectual affirmation that Jesus is yeah. Jesus. Right. And then that's salvation. But Jesus looks at his disciples who we are then spiritual descendants of. And he says, you know, if you obey me, that's how I know you love me. Yeah. And when he gives the, the uh, great commission, he says, you know, go baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, make disciples of all nations and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Mm-hmm. And so this idea of obedience is going to be a straight line, like straight through the Bible. And here we see Noah being obedient. And that's important because uh, God is starting over and he's starting yeah. over with Noah, righteous and obedient Noah. Yeah. If you're reading this from Genesis 3 on, you know, you have hope. This is maybe the most concrete hope you've had yeah. since maybe Cain and Abel were born before Cain killed Abel. Right. Right now, if you're reading this for the first time and maybe you don't know what's coming next, you think, well, okay, this must be the salvation, right? Because mm-hmm. he's he's wiping out the unrighteousness and here's Noah and he's obeying his commands. Yeah. And the word, the word Noah, I think it means rest. Oh, yeah. And so basically you see the consequences of disobedience and sin has mm-hmm. led to just chaos and violence. And, you know, when you think about rest, when you think about peace, when you think about shalom, it's the opposite of that. Yeah. We call like anything like violence or like a, like an uproar is like unrest. Yeah. Unrest. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. So, so yeah, if there's like uh, if the order of a country goes into disorder, we yeah. call that unrest. Yeah. Right? And so here Noah, even in his name is this hope. Mm. that we can get back to Eden. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's good. Yeah. So, all right, let's, let's go uh, 11 through 16. Uh, do we need six through 10 first? Uh, yes, we do. Okay, just making sure. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth and Noah and his sons and his wife and his son's wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds and of all creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark as God had commanded Noah. And after the seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth. So they get into the ark. The flood begins pretty yeah. self-explanatory, but what, what can you kind of unlock from this language in terms of this story and symbolic aspect that we're going through? Yeah. Through, you know, one through 10, we're seeing a lot of sevens, a lot of animals, pairs, birds, creatures, mm-hmm. a lot of like seven numerology, mm-hmm. male and female. I mean, it all sounds like a repeat of the creation story. In the language. Yeah, seven days. Yeah. Animals, creatures that move along the ground. Sure. Male and female. So this is all Genesis 1 language, and, and that's because God is actually not exterminating all life. 
Hmm. Yeah, that's good. Right. He, he's not actually exterminating all life. He's moving to begin a new creation, beginning with righteous Noah. Hopefully mm-hmm. Noah can be the new Adam, mm-hmm. but actually be what Adam was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So yeah. this is the hope as, as you read the story. And so this is new creation language, right? Yeah. All right. So now, now. we can do 11 through, through 16. <laughs> Sounds good. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth. And the floodgates of heavens were open and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On that very day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. They had with them every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kinds, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, everything with wings. Pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing, as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. So more repetition of the creation language, animals, Mm -hmm. birds, the breath of life. This is all, you know, the first two chapters of the Bible because we're about to begin a new creation. Yeah. And in Genesis 1, it said that God created what we talked about was called the rakia, which is like the space Mm -hmm. in between the waters above yeah, he separates the waters. Yeah, and the heavens, uh, yeah, the, the heavens above, which mm-hmm. has water, and we know that because water falls from the sky, yeah. and the waters below, and mm-hmm. we know that because water comes up from the ground, right? This yeah. is what we. One of the things we talked about here was actually in terms of our lived experience. The Bible's very literal. Yeah. About that, there is water down there, and <laughs> there is water, water above. up there, yeah, right? Absolutely. Um, and so uh, that that place in between is where life like humans is going to dwell, hmm. right? We can't dwell down in the chaos waters and we can't dwell up there where the waters are. So in that rakia that's separated the waters, you know, above from below, uh, that's where humans dwell. Mm-hmm. And so when the earth is decreated in this flood, mm-hmm. you see the waters from above come pouring down into the rakia mm-hmm. and the waters from below come back up. Mm. Right, so so it, it doesn't just say, and then a flood came. It says yeah. the windows of heaven were opened and, and water came from up there. And then from the great deep, yeah. water burst forth, right? That, that's intentional because it's looking at Genesis 1. It's showing how God created by bringing order, by separating those waters and mm-hmm. giving humans a place to be. And then in the flood, you see all of that order go back into the primordial chaos that you saw at the very, very beginning of, of the story. Yeah, the chaos waters are back. The chaos waters are back. Yeah, absolutely. And so the judgment of God here in the flood is de- is like reverse creation. Hmm. And so, uh, you know, that's because we ruin the world. Yeah. That's what we read in Genesis 6, 12. Mm-hmm. And God saw the earth and behold, it was ruined. Yeah, and we asked a couple episodes ago, what do you think would justice be in a situation mm-hmm. like that. Right. Right. Or like, and, and, and which is absolutely true. I mean, we still think of eye for eye, tooth for tooth yeah. type justice, right? Yeah. So I guess like if, if you're God and you created the world and you put humans in charge of it and they ruined it. Yeah. You know, just, and they were hurting each other and, were, and the world actively. Yeah. All of which he loves yeah. so deeply that yeah. he brought them forth to life then I guess that, that the proper reaction of God would be to just wipe them out and do something different. Right, yeah. Because, um, 
you know, that, that, that would seem to fit our understanding of justice. Mm -hmm. And then even like, you know, as modern people, we really like the idea of efficiency Mm -hmm. and uh, utility, right? Usefulness. Uh, This also doesn't fit that, you know, one of the, a a funny, like, you know, non-literal analogy that I like to use is that if you were, if you were a consultant for God Mm. and you read the first six chapters and he's like, what should I do now? You'd be like, uh, probably like, don't do this with humans anymore. Yeah. These guys are not working. (laughs) Because they sort of immediately ruined the world. (laughs) Right right away. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And so even like, so, so, so none of it really makes sense. Yeah. If you will. Mm -hmm. And that's because all of, all of this, everything that we're going to read, including creation itself, to now hear recreation, to then salvation, which yeah. we'll talk about through Israel and the person of Jesus, it is more so a movement of love. Yeah, it's all grace. And grace than it is anything that has to mm. do with usefulness or efficiency or justice in the sense that we tend to think of the, the word justice. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so it's important to keep that in mind. People don't often think about the flood story as grace. Mm-hmm. But look, you know, we talked about when when death comes into the world, when God cuts them off from the tree of life, to some degree, that's grace. Yeah. Because to live forever in a state of disintegration, in mm. rebellion against God, turned away from the God of life, what would one become? Yeah. If you were in that state forever. Right. And so, so even death can be a grace. And so the flood is a story of grace because God has decided to recreate Mm -hmm. through Noah Mm -hmm. when what we just talked about was in terms of justice and in terms of efficiency, that doesn't actually make sense. Yeah. And we're going to see, spoiler alert, that it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And when you ask the question, well, did this plan of God work? Hmm. It's like, well, of course, eventually. Yeah. Yeah but only once God becomes flesh and blood and heals us. Yeah. You are going to see this same kind of spiral of depravity happen after the flood. Yeah. Because it's not about those things that we talked about. It's not about punishment. It's not about you're getting your just desserts Mm -hmm. and it's not about efficiency. It's about love and grace. God Mm -hmm. wants us to be his images and he wants the image of God to be what the image of God is supposed to be. And so he decides and he chooses us. Mm Um. Yeah. And so now Noah and his family are, and, and all these animals are shut within the ark. Yeah, he shuts them in. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. And the flood begins. Hmm. Should we read 17 through 24? Yeah. For 40 days, the flood kept coming on the earth. And as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 15 cubits. Every living thing that moved on the land perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, and all the creatures that swarm over the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Mm. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. Hmm. So, you know, we're going to keep harping on this, this episode, because it really is important for us to change our perspective. Like you really have to fundamentally change how you understand life Hmm. and how you understand existence in order to understand this story, right? Because if existence is a right that we have as humans, then this is seemingly 
rash yeah. for God to wipe out all that life, right? But the biblical story says something very differently, right? So, so first of all, the world has already been decreated by us. Yeah. That's that Genesis 6, 12 verse we keep coming back to. Right. God saw the world. Behold, it was corrupted. It was ruined. Yeah, I think we read this story sometimes and or we have a presupposition without reading the story that people were pretty good. Maybe they were just making a few mistakes and God was like, that's it, you're yeah. out. Yeah. And it's like, we're actively decreating the world. Right, right. And you see this with sin today. Yeah. Right, like you see families decreated yeah. by the sin of the parents. You see relationships decreated by the sin of each other. Yeah, because not only does our sin affect us, it affects those around us. Mm-hmm. We sin against others most of the time too. Absolutely, absolutely. So. The flood is something that is indeed prompted and allowed by God. Mm -hmm. These waters coming upon the earth to cleanse it. But it is also, in a very real sense, the natural consequences of sin. Mm -hmm. This is what sin does. The order that God brings forth in Genesis 1 and 2, our sin works against that. And the demons that we partner with when we sin work Mm -hmm. against that. And so this is in some, in some sense, just the realization of what rebellion against God does, of what disobedience to God and his commandments does. This is what happens when humans chata and miss the mark yeah. of being humans. We're supposed to take this thing and not only keep the order that God has put in it. Yeah, not only maintain it, but make it better, flourish. We're supposed to, make yeah. it, we're supposed to take it from glory to glory. Yeah. So to take it from God's glory into destruction, which is what we've seen so far and what we see today with violence and death and chaos and unrest and all the things that you see in the world today, uh, that that is to some degree the flood, Mm -hmm. right? So um, this this phrase that's in the middle of the, what you just read that said, in everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Mm -hmm. What, What does that remind you of? Reminds me of when God created man. Yeah, right? Genesis 2, 7. Mm-hmm. He, yeah. he forms man out of the dust. And he breathes his life into him. Into his nostrils. Yeah. And so the, the, the foundation of the understanding of existence in the Bible, which is really important for us to, to wrap our minds around, is that we live and exist and flourish and are maintained in God. Yeah. And so there is no life away from him. And apart from, from his grace that he gives us, there is no life. Uh, existence is election. Mm-hmm. Existence is grace. Existence is the manifestation of the love of God. But it is only that, right? Yeah. So according to the Bible, we do not, you know, life is not presupposed. Mm-hmm. It's the, the active gift, the energy of God mm-hmm. that is breathed into the life. Of, of the world. And so the, the flood shows this in crystal clarity. When he removes his protective presence, what happens to all of life? Yeah. Goes away. All right. the breath in our nostrils go away. And so uh, this is, this is a, a reversal about this, but we do have to become comfortable with this as Christians be, because it is entirely in opposition to the way that we tend to think about life. Yeah. According to the Christian faith and according to the scriptures, life is not ours. Mm-hmm. It is not a right that we have, mm-hmm. right? It is not presupposed. It's not something that just is. Life itself is is the gift of God, and it doesn't belong to us. Mm-hmm. Um, 
uh, Paul's going to say that that you know, people, you know, the, I think it's in Corinthians. I just can't remember, but they ask, you know, are we still allowed? Oh yeah, are we still allowed to keep living in sin then? Yeah, can we can we keep can we keep living in sin? And, and he, Paul's like, what a crazy question to yeah, ask. Yeah, yeah. He gets to the point where he says, well, you can't because you're not your own. Yeah. So think about that phrase: you mm-hmm. are not your own. Mm-hmm. You don't belong to you. Mm-hmm. And the reason he says that to the church is he says because you were bought with the blood of Christ. Mm-hmm. But that's not a new thing, mm-hmm. right? You've been redeemed into this life by the blood of Christ, but even your existence in the first place is the election of God. Yeah, He has elected you to exist and he's breathed you to life. And that's all that life is, mm-hmm. fundamentally speaking. And so um, it's, it's a difficult teaching, but that how you understand that fundamentally will determine your answer to the question of, is it fair? Yeah. And I'm using scare quotes, which you can't see because this is an audio podcast. <laughs> Is it fair for God to have done this? I think that this concept also helps us in our walk. Um, it helps us with our idolatry, mm. things that we hold on to so so tightly. Yeah. If we think that, you know, our life is ours and it's like I'm collecting stuff and things and I'm building for me, mm-hmm. then we will act in a in a way that only builds for us, even if that tears other people down. So to understand that life is not ours and that's grace, that affects how we live our lives. And that's what Paul says. That's why you can't sin. Absolutely. Yeah, like you said, if it's yours, then why not accumulate all of the things that you want to accumulate? If life's for me, who cares about anyone else or God, I'm going to do what I want no matter what else, you know, or who else I hurt. We're, uh, we, we went through the book of Acts mm-hmm. as, as small groups in our church. And, you know, one of the questions, there's this, there's this, uh, this scene with Ananias and Sapphira mm-hmm. where they sell their land and they come to the church and they say, here is the full amount of the money that we sold our land for. Right. And Peter says, is this really the full amount? And they say, yeah. And, and, and separately, they both say yes. Yeah. And they both die. Because they're both lying. Because they're lying. Yeah. They're grieving the spirit of God, the presence of God. And one of the questions that we always get is like, that that's way too far. Mm-hmm. I can't believe God would do that. And first of all, it doesn't actually say that God killed them, right? The, the idea of that verse and that story is that when they're in the presence of God, you know, if you are in sin, apart from the grace of God, yeah. his holy presence will destroy you. Yeah. You see this with Aaron's sons, which we'll mm-hmm. get to here, here at some point. Um, but, you know, that question, is it fair for God to do this? It does depend on what you understand yeah. about what life is. The question first has to be, is it fair to God and to the other people around me for me to be able to destroy myself and everyone around me. Yeah. Yeah. You could reverse the question like that. Absolutely. And is that fair? Geez, I don't want to answer that maybe. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a, that is a really good, that's a really good thing to point out. Like, you know, when you, I don't mean you, Jackie, this is like the, <laughs> the, the collective you, okay. when you gossip mm. about your friend mm-hmm. behind their back and their reputation amongst people that they might care about, is shot yeah. or, or uh, it's, it's to some degree taken down. Yeah, it's diminished. Is that fair? Yeah. Is I mean, that fair of you? Of you. Yeah. 
I mean, we have all kinds of rationalizations where we'll say, well, they shouldn't have done this and they shouldn't have done that or whatever. But, but is it fair for you to destroy somebody? Because what James is going to say in the New Testament is that gossip is a destructive fire. He doesn't say like, hey, it's this thing that it's not, it doesn't really behoove you as a Christian to do it. So you yeah. should, you should take, take care with your tongue. He says, your tongue is a fire. Yeah. And if it's left unchecked, you destroy the world around you. Is that fair? Mm-hmm. Well, no, it's not fair. Should you be destroyed because of that? Mm. Uh, honestly, yeah, yeah, depends on what your definition of justice is. Yeah, right. But there is something in that question about Ananias and Sapphira that that sort of presupposes that to some degree, it's actually okay and acceptable. Yes, for them to have not brought forth what they said. Yeah, what we get at with that question, whether we mean to or not, is they weren't really sending that bad, huh? Yeah, it's not that bad, right? Which is to come just, into the holy presence right. of God and to lie about reality. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah. So, so this is kind of what's going on with the flood, and mm. and without understanding how the grace of God works because of what existence is, yeah. it's going to be really hard for us to understand most of the things that happen in the Bible, right? Um, and so, this is a very important thing for us to to try to wrap our minds around. Yeah. The other thing that's going on in this in this section that you just read is you see all this all these things about numbers. Mm. And we talked in the episode about the genealogy of Genesis 5, we talked about numerology. So we talked about the number 7, how it means complete. Mm-hmm. Right? It represents something beyond what its numerical value or sequential order. It represents completeness, shalom. And we I think in that episode we talked about the number 60. Yeah. Which is like the foundation of, of uh, ancient mathematical system, mm-hmm. which we still use today, 60 minutes in a day, 60 yeah. seconds in a, in a minute. Uh, and, and so you can go back and listen to that if you want. I won't rehash all that because <laughs> <laughs> we might get some feedback that people didn't find that particularly interesting. <laughs> uh, but it is interesting to me because there's all these numbers here and these numbers mean something. Um, the number 40 here mm. is used a lot. And so yeah. the number seven is used here which we know what that means to some degree. The number 40 is used a lot here. And that number becomes very important throughout the rest Mm -hmm. of the story. Yeah, we'll see this come up again. Yeah, the number 40 is very important. In Exodus 34, 28, Moses stays on Mount Sinai with God and he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. Mm -hmm. Then he receives the 10 commandments. Mm -hmm. Um, The Israelites wander in the wilderness for 40 years after the Exodus before they receive the promised land. In 1 Kings 19, Elijah is at war with the gods of, of you know, with, with Baal and, and his, his, his cult that, uh, that, that his own king has brought into, mm-hmm. into the land. And he receives instructions from God after fasting for 40 days and 40 mm-hmm. nights in the wilderness. In Ezekiel 4, uh, Ezekiel is doing theatrical things to, that represent the judgment that is coming upon them. And so... He, he lies on his left side for like 128 days or something for the sins of Israel, the Northern mm. kingdom. And then he lies on his right side for 40 days to bear the iniquities of Judah, mm. the Southern kingdom. When you read about the King, Saul, David, and Solomon all reign for 40 years. And so this number 40 comes up. And actually in that, it seems like in all three of those kingships, there's like 20 years of, of goodness and blessing and obedience, and then 20 years of sin and the consequences mm-hmm. of yeah. sin. And so you see all, you see that arc throughout 40 years. 
in, in, in all of those kings and all those kingships. In 1 Samuel 17, Goliath is taunting Israel and he taunts them for 40 days yeah. before David steps forward and defeats him. And then famously, Jesus is tempted in the wilderness by Satan for 40 days in, in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Yeah, when he fasts. Yeah, and he fasts for 40 days being tempted by the devil before he begins his ministry proclaiming the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And so it seems like when you put the rest of the biblical picture into perspective that 40 represents testing and trial and preparation before a new thing comes forward, mm-hmm. right? So 40 days of fasting, then the 10 commandments and the covenant. Mm-hmm. 40 years of fasting, then the ministry of Jesus Christ. 40 years of a king, then a new king. You know, that, that number seems to represent or 40 years in the wilderness, then a new land. So 40 seems to represent something about testing and trial and preparation for whatever new thing God is going to do, hmm. how God's going to move, move something forward. And so you see this here, right? Because what's about to come forth from this? New life. New, new creation. creation, right? Yeah. He's going to start over. And so uh, this is like, you know, th- this what what we'll say sometimes in like a, a preaching ministry is like this this will preach <laughs> because life with God is a life of testing. Hmm. Now, when we think of a test, we usually think about a test like you're you're almost like you're tricking somebody. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to put a test in there to see if they're genuine, or you're going to put a test in there to see if they actually mean what they say or you're going to put a test in there to see if they're going to do what you want them to do. And so here's this obstacle. And depending mm-hmm. on how you react to that is going to depend on, you know, is, is going to determine whether you are something or not. But, but testing in its like technical sense is what you do to metals mm. before they're strong enough to be what they're supposed to be. Mm. So gold is tested by fire. It's refined by the fire, the ore that you pull out of the ground, that's not the gold that you make into to jewelry yet. Hmm. You have to test it in the fires. You have to refine it in the fires. And so uh, this life is a test hmm. in the sense that it is refinement. Hmm. You know, we are to be refined into the image and into the likeness of God. And that testing can certainly come through blessings. Mm-hmm but it can also come through temptation and it can come through trial. And in fact, for most people, the, the, the most formative parts of their lives are things that they would not wish upon themselves. Yeah, certainly. Except in hindsight, when mm-hmm. you see how it made you the person that you became. Absolutely. You know, um, uh, many of us have stories like that where we find God when we're at rock bottom. Yeah. You know, um, when we're in the chaos waters, Mm -hmm. when it feels like we're in an ark that's floating uh, in the midst of something that we can't control, something that's dangerous, something that we might not wish upon ourselves, or we're stuck in the desert and we're hungry. Mm -hmm. We all have moments in our life that are like that. And so what's our response? Mm. Do we respond in, in obedience? Do we respond in allegiance to God? Because when, when we do, then we're formed and we're shaped and whatever, however unenjoyable the actual experience is, because when you think about what I just said about gold, you know, fire is not pleasant. Yeah. Uh, so no matter how unpleasant the experience is, it might be the most formative moment of your life. And it doesn't necessarily mean that God wills that upon you. 
right? We're going to see here that we live in a world that's full of sin and therefore we live in a world that is full of things that happen that are actually not in the direct will of God. Yeah. So when people say God has a plan, they're correct. His plan is your salvation. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that everything that happens to you, he wants to happen to you. Mm -hmm. So if you get sick, if you get that diagnosis, that does not mean that God wants you to be sick like that. Yeah. But what it does mean is that in that testing, there is the ability to be refined. Yeah, that even in the sin and brokenness of the world, God's using it for our betterment somehow. Exactly. That exactly. he's turning things around for good. Exactly. Everything has the opportunity to be used by God mm. for you for your ultimate purpose, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this is very different than the pagan world that surrounds the biblical authors. In, in, in the pagan world, the, the myths that they had about how the world is had much more to do with the fact that there was, there was good and order and that good and order was in a constant war with evil mm-hmm. and chaos. And those two things are almost, they have the same level of power. And so there's mm. this constant struggle, yeah. right? Where it's like, who's gonna win? The, the good or the evil? Because they're equally powerful, they're vying for rule, and they're fighting each other in a fair fight. What the, what the biblical story tells us is that there is evil and sin in the world, which is actually opposed to God's will, and yet because God is the creator of the world, he can use that to push forth his purposes, mm-hmm. which is what we're going to see next episode in his covenant with Noah. Um, the, the problem, it's called in theology, it's called theodicy, the problem of evil. That's only a problem for those of us who believe in this God and this story, because we say that this God is all powerful and he's all good. Mm-hmm. It's not a problem in the pagan world because they see the bad things that happen and they're like, oh, chaos is winning. Yeah. Evil is winning because they're, they're equally powerful. For us, we know that that's not true. So we have to figure out why then is there evil? Yeah. Why does it sometimes win? And that's a very complicated philosophical question that we're not going to get into right now. I actually think we will get into it next episode. Um, But the result is that because God is all-powerful, and this is the way that he wants the world to be, that we have will and volition as his images, it means that there will be evil, Mm -hmm. and there will be destruction, there will be chaos. And yet, in our obedience to him, even those things can be used to bring us to our ultimate purpose. Yeah. Even that evil that we experience that hurts us, that we wish didn't happen and that God does not directly will, even that can be used to test us in the sense that you test gold with fire. Mm. Uh, not as a test like you take in school. To see if you- If you pass or fail. Yeah. Not that kind of test. The test of refinement, mm-hmm. preparation. There's so many people, like when you read, when you see documentaries about someone who does something great, their story always begins mm. with the, the test. Yeah. This person grew up poor. Mm-hmm. This person grew up without family. This mm-hmm. person grew up in these hard circumstances, and those circumstances shape them into be a, being able to become something yeah. they aren't. Um, I'm watching a show called Succession right now. Mm. 
And one of the things it does is it touches upon this reality that a lot of people see that when you create something great, your children cannot take it and Mm. do what you did. And part of that is because they didn't go through what you went through. Yeah, You grew up scrapping, trying to, you know, by force of will and talent and extreme focus and obsession. Like these aren't necessarily good things, but through what you went through, you created this great thing. Then you want to hand it to your child, but your child grew up pampered. Right. You know, not in that kind of testing. And so they can't take it, right? It's this Mm -hmm. this idea in in our culture of like a, what, what you call like a fail son. Yeah. Right. Where, where in this show succession, like he just, you know, he, he is not a good man and he's a horrible father. Mm. He wants to give, you know, he, who's going to succeed him? Which one of his children? And the answer is none of them because none of them have what it takes. Yeah. And part of the reason they don't have what it takes is because they didn't go through what you went through. Mm-hmm. And so here we are on an ark. God is going to start new creation. So 40 days on an ark with only the promise of God and seeing the chaos unfold around you, it takes a significant level of testing of faith. Mm-hmm. And that's because God wants to restart the world with Noah mm-hmm. and his family. And so they're tested, they're, they're tried, and they go through this, these 40 days that the scriptures tend to, you know, that, that, that tends to be representative in the scriptures of mm-hmm. this kind of testing before something new happens. Mm. So again, numerology. Yeah. It's more interesting than we think, maybe. I think so. Yeah. You know, something that stuck out to me was um, the similarity between, we've talked about how the Ark represents Eden, but it also is a proto-tabernacle, right? One of the things we know about the tabernacle is that's where God's, like the presence of God was Mm -hmm. supposed to live, right? And so a lot of interesting things maybe references to the ark floating on the surface of the water, just like, you know, in Genesis one, the spirit of God hovers over the waters. Mm -hmm. So even in that, it sounds like, you know, the spirit's here again to recreate. Yeah, that's good. And when Jesus gets led into the wilderness for 40 days, who leads him into the wilderness? The spirit. The Holy Spirit. Yeah. The presence of God. Right. And so that's, that's a really good connection. Right. So even in that testing, it's not like God's away, far away saying, well, see how you turn out. He's there. Yeah. 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 yeah he's there in, in the midst of that. Mm-hmm. And with the promise that th- through obedience to him, even through the most uncomfortable situations of your life, that those situations can be tests in the sense that they can make you into something that you're created to be. Yeah, absolutely. Right. There's, there's a, an Eastern Orthodox scholar named Stephen DeYoung, who says that, that life the purpose of life is repentance. Hmm. And what he means is the purpose of life is to turn towards God. And so you have however many years on this earth and really the main purpose of all of that with all the beautiful things you can accomplish and all the horrible things that can happen to you in this world that we live in, the purpose of that life is movement towards God, relationship yeah. with him, proximity to God. And if that's true, then that means that the blessings of your life, if you're obedient to God, can bring you closer to him. Mm-hmm. And it means that the tragedies of your life, mm-hmm. whether he wills it or not, can bring you closer to him. Yeah. And in that, every single thing we can thank God for. Mm-hmm. The church fathers would, would, you know, some of their prayers, the things that they thank God for, it's like, what are you talking about? You know, yeah. the, the apostles leave the Sanhedrin where they've just been embarrassed by the leaders of their faith 
And it says that they were rejoicing yeah. to be humiliated for the name of Christ. It's like, well, how would one rejoice in something like that? Well, because they believe that in that, something is happening to them and to the world. And mm -hmm. in their faithfulness, they're being tested and tried and they're becoming what they're supposed to become in that. Even though I'm sure that they don't, I'm sure that they weren't happy about being whipped right. by the leaders of their faith and cast out from their synagogues and their communities. So what were they rejoicing about? Well, they were rejoicing about this repentance that becomes possible through the test. Yeah, that even in something so bad, God's grace and God's goodness is so much better mm -hmm. that it still wins. Exactly. Mm. He actually doesn't even have to take the evil thing and remove it. For his goodness to still show. He can work through it. That's crazy. Which yeah. is really, to me, more of a, of a uh, um, that's more of a manifestation of his all powerfulness. Yeah, it's a testament to how powerful he is. Then it would be to just take it away. Yeah. Because the point is not for it to be taken away. The point is for you and me and the church to, to become like him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so 40 days of rain, 40 days of testing, 40 days to believe in the promises of God. And we will pick up next week with Genesis 8, where we see the flood subside and we see the, the, the beginnings of, of new creation. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. Anything else? No, that's it. All right. Well, like I said at the beginning, um, give us five stars, <laughs> rate us, review us. That's a command. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, um, we we will uh, we'll pick up next week and we'll continue through this story. Yeah. All right. See you guys. Bye guys. Mm -hmm.